to Galatians chapter 2 and 11 through 16. So we'll continue our journey uh, through Galatians. So it says this, uh, But when Cephas, uh, which is who? Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, are living like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force or compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? For we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So, uh, we've... Previously in our study, we've been in Galatians for four or five weeks now, and previously in our study, we saw that um, back in verses 3 through 5, we saw that there were certain uh, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem uh, who tried to compel Titus, who was a Jewish, uh, I'm sorry, a Christian Greek, to be circumcised. Everybody remember that when, when Titus went up there with Paul? And, and Paul refused to, to submit to that for a second. Let's read that again in verses 3 through 5. It says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might drag us or bring us back into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, and here's the key phrase, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So Paul says that if I had yielded to that demand, that that guy, be, that, that Greek or that Gentile be circumcised, then I would have torpedoed the gospel. Then everything I preach, everything I stand for would have been, would have been garbage. The, the Gentile mission would have been over. Christ would have died in vain. We would all still be under the wrath of God. So he said, I didn't submit to that pressure uh, for even a second. Now, in today's passage, the truth of the gospel is going to be again at stake. Now, the location has changed, but the issue is the same. Um, Gentiles are trying to be, they're trying to compel Gentiles to live like Jews. Now, in Jerusalem, the issue is circumcision. Here in Antioch, the issue is going to be dietary laws. Okay? Everybody, so it's, a, it's the same thing. You got Jews trying to say, Gentiles, you got to live like us. You got to follow these laws. You got to do these things. Um, the location has changed, but the, um, uh, the, the issue now is dietary laws. So let's, look at, let's pick up the story here in verse 11 and 12 and kind of walk through this and see what was happening. It says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, or he stood judged. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Now, I want you to notice the freedom of the gospel that Peter is walking in. Here he is in Antioch. By the way, Peter is a Jew, right? He was raised to be a Jew. You'll see this um, a little bit later. But here he is in Antioch, and he's not living like a Jew. He's eating with the Gentiles, something he's not supposed to do. So, so he's in complete freedom. In fact, not only notice, not only is he not requiring Gentiles to live like Jews, he himself, who is a Jew, is living like a what? A Gentile. So he understood, okay, something's changed. I don't even have to obey those laws anymore. Something has completely changed, and he is living in the freedom of the gospel. Now, for a Jew, this was radical behavior, to go and just eat with a Gentile. That was, that was something radical. So I think it's important to understand how Peter came to this point in his, in his life, how something's significant. So we'll have to, to find that out. We have to go back to Acts 10. Now, you remember back in Acts 10... There's a man named Cornelius, right? And Cornelius is, is not a Jew, but he was a devout man. He feared God, and um, he gave alms. He prayed. He was just a good man. And so an angel comes to him one day and says, Cornelius, send some men uh, up to talk to Peter and call for a man named Peter, and Peter will come and tell you what you need to do. So we pick up the story in verse 9. So it says, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, which is about 12 o'clock, to pray. 
and he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Now in this sheet were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the other brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together all of his relatives and close friends. And as he talked with them, this is Peter, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, now listen to what he said, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So what happened in Peter's life to to change him from a Jew who wouldn't have anything to do with Gentiles to now here he is in Antioch and he's eating with them? What changed? God's revelation. That's exactly right. That's exactly. See, this is a tremendously important turning point, not only for Peter, but also for the for the church and for history. God is saying, Peter, a new era has dawned, right? The Messiah has come. Those laws in the Old Testament, all those dietary and those restrictions, they were a tutor to lead you to Christ. But now that Christ has come, it's time to let those things go. Right? I'm gonna, and when you get to Cornelius' house, I'm going to show you something new. And that's exactly what happened. So Peter comes to Cornelius' house. He preaches the gospel to them. And as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And, and the Bible says that they are astonished. They, they cannot believe that the Holy Spirit has fell on these Gentiles the exact same way that he, he fell on them because they don't keep the laws. They don't, they don't do none of that stuff. And this is what Peter said in Acts 10, 34 to 47. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So God not only gave him revelation, then he showed him, right? I mean, he literally showed him this is what I. This, this is the difference. So Peter, Peter has had this incredible experience that has changed him from being a, a you know a law-abiding Jew to a Jew who's walking in the freedom of the of the gospel. So now his life has changed. Now he understands that Jews don't. Not only does he understand that Jews don't have to keep the Old Testament laws, he also understands I don't have to keep them. In other words, the laws, keeping the laws doesn't mean you don't get the Holy Spirit, right? It doesn't matter anymore. So now notice how slowly but surely, by the way, Peter and Paul, this is happening in two different ways, right? They're they're not even talking to one another. So very slowly and surely, Peter and Paul are coming to this same recognition of the same understanding of the truth of the gospel, that it's all about faith in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what it's all about. The one and only condition... Paul understands this. Peter understands this. The one and only condition for receiving the Holy Spirit and enjoying His benefits is a living faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Don't have to earn it. Don't have to. Uh, don't have to work at it. Don't have to, to to behave right. Don't have to act right. Don't have to obey these laws. And so that's the gospel. So when Peter is eating with these Gentile brothers and sisters, he's he's in step with the gospel, is he not? His, his, he has crossed religious barriers, he's crossed racial barriers, and he's done all this because of the, of the gospel. Now, and by the way, do you notice what he was doing in order to cross barriers? What was he doing with them? He's eating with them. 
That's it. This is not staged. It's not artificial. It's not programmed. It's just one man eating with another man. It's just one group eating with another group. It's just a natural relationship. Okay? So it's not staged. It's not something, well, I'm going to go set this up so people can see this, but I really don't want to have anything to do with them. No, he is just walking in the freedom of the gospel. He's just eating with other races. He's eating with other uh, people that believe a little bit differently religiously, and it's all in a free and simple natural relationship. By the way, isn't it amazing how important eating together is in the Bible? Go to the Bible, you'll see it over and over and over again. They ate together. They ate together. What did Jesus do on the night before he was gone? He ate with them. What's he going to do when we're back together again? We're going to eat together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. What was Peter doing with the Gentiles? He was eating with them. See, the fact is, when you think about it physically, it's the one thing we all have to do to nourish our physical body, is it, is it not? Let me tell you, spiritually, it's the place that we get together and we nourish our spiritual body. When I say the spiritual body, I mean the body of Christ. When we come together and eat together and we talk and relate and build relationships, what we're doing is we're building up the spiritual body of Christ. There ought to be a huge amount of eating together in churches. Okay? That's just, there ought to be a huge amount of that going on. That's a, that's a rabbit trail, so we won't go down there. But anyway, so here they are. Peter's walking in the freedom of the gospel, and something happens. Okay? Remember we said last week, when we looked at Barnabas, even great men fall. Great women fall. They, nobody's perfect. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. We pick it up in verse 12. It says this, For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So here he is in Antioch. He's eating with the Gentiles. Man, he's just, this is the best thing ever. Right? I'm, I'm free. They're free. I'm free. We're just all having a good time. We're growing in the Lord. And these men come down from Jerusalem. Now, all we know about these men is that they're Jews. They're, they're, they're conservative Jews who still believe that you have to separate yourself from the Gentiles. You have to obey the dietary laws. You have to obey the feast days. You have to be circumcised. Um, and, and they come down. And when they do, okay, and this is all we know. By the way, we, we can't speculate. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week. We can't really speculate how they were connected with James or why they came or what they said. But one thing is made very exp explicitly clear, and that is Peter is afraid of them for whatever reason. Now, this is, this is Peter. Now, this is really interesting. This is the same guy who stood in front of a mob and pulled out his sword to defend Jesus. Did he not? This is the same guy who in the middle of a storm steps out of a boat. Right? I mean, he's, there's a lot, he's, would you call him a scaredy cat? I mean, I wouldn't. But here he is, and it, look, watch what he says, he feared them. He feared the circumcision party. Now, here's my question. What do you think he's afraid of? Being judged. Okay, being judged? Somebody else. What do you think he's afraid of? Offending. Offending? Okay. I mean, anybody else? What's he afraid of? I, I think there's, there's a few different things here. Here's some possibilities. Peter, maybe he was afraid of conflict, right? Maybe he was thinking, man, these guys are going to cause a scene. It's going to be very awkward. Uh, maybe if I just pull away from the Gentiles, we can all hang out together. Um, and by the way, a lot of people can be governed by fear of conflict to the point that you will behave contrary to the gospel. By the way, do you think that do you think he was afraid of conflict? No, I don't think that was it at all. I, I don't think Peter, like I said, he's the one that pulled the sword. He's not afraid of conflict. How about um, maybe he wasn't sure of his own beliefs in the gospel? Maybe he thought, man, we're going to get in this argument. These guys are scribes. They've been brought up, uh, you know, in the in the uh, Sanhedrin, and they're going to rip me apart. Maybe I just don't, you know, man, I'm just going to back off. I don't really want to argue with these guys, uh, you know. You think that was it with him? No. Remember, he's the one who stood on the rooftop and saw the vision. He's the one that saw the Holy Spirit. I don't think at all he had any problems with, with what had happened to him. I don't think that was it at all. Um, how about this one? Maybe he was afraid of what his own people would say. There's this thing called peer pressure, right? You know, anybody ever felt it? See, religious, think about this, religious fundamentalists, 
can be very intimidating. You ever have you ever met some of these guys and it's just black and white, right and wrong. And they can be so they can be wrong, but yet they can be so sure of themselves. It's intimidating. It's like it's like arguing with a stone wall. And I think you know, and and so and a lot of times these religious conservatives like this and fundamentalists they can employ these pressure tactics, right? Like ostracizing, they 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 threaten uh, you know uh, uh, they threaten both directly and indirectly those who do not conform. Well, you you know you're just a sinner. You're a, I mean, there's just they got ways to pressure you uh, with what they say. I really think it was more of this. These are his people, by the way. These are the Jews, and they come down and they're you know they're wearing their robes probably, and they they got and it's just it, it's intimidating. And I think he capitulated in that. Uh, sense he was afraid of their power he was afraid of what they would say he, and, and in some sense he was still trying to please men right which by the way we all battle do we not we all battle that um, and it's, so again we have to be very careful that we don't act contrary to our beliefs because of what those closest to us will will say that we don't succumb to pressure from friends or co-workers or our own family um, in, in, in a, and so that it pressures us to act in a way that's contrary to the gospel. And we'll talk about that uh, here as we move ahead. So at the end of the day, I'm not sure what Peter was afraid of. Maybe it was uh, the third one. Maybe it was a mixture of all three. But what happened was his fear ruined his gospel faithfulness. Okay? His fear ruined the, his... He's acting in a way that's completely in step with the gospel, is he not? And then he gets scared, and he backs away from it. So his fear, uh, his fear ruined that. It ruined the unity that he had with his brothers and sisters across ethnic and, and racial lines. Now, we're not told why he feared, but he did. So in a moment of weakness, he cuts off fellowship with his Gentile brothers and sisters. And when he did it, he's a leader. Now, this is, this is what makes it doubly bad. Peter's a leader. So when he does it, guess what happens? Others follow. Look at verses 12 through 13. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Because he's a leader. I mean, Peter's, Peter's a leader. When he does it, the rest of them say, oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, that's why it was, it was on Peter to stand up for the truth of the gospel so the other guys could stand behind him. But when he bailed, they bailed, which made it doubly bad. So here's, how is Paul going to react to this? Well, we see it pretty quickly. Paul ain't scared of nobody. He says this, but when I saw that their conduct, and I want you to look at these words. We're going to talk about this for the rest of the lesson. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, by the way, where did he say it at? Did he pull him into a closet? No, he stood up in front of them all, and he said, "If he said, Peter, I don't understand something. Here you are a Jew, and you're living like a Gentile. But now you want to turn around and tell the Gentiles that they got to live like Jews. He said, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Now, I want you to understand what he says here. And this is what's important. Do you see what Paul says? He implies that there is conduct. There is behavior. There is action, things that you do that are out of step with the gospel. In other words, they contradict the gospel. They contradict what you believe. That's why, by the way, that's the very definition of a hypocrite, right? You, you, you believe one thing, but you act another. You say one thing, but you, but you do another. So we need to understand what this means. We know that the benefits of the gospel can only be received by what? <coughs> by faith, right? Not by works. Is that clear? <coughs> that is the gospel. But let me tell you, when the gospel is received by faith, you change. Your works change. Your behavior changes. Your action change. When you finally hear and believe the drumbeat of the gospel, the rhythm of your step changes, right? Okay? So what happens is your behavior, your actions, your habits, they get in tune with the gospel. They get in step with the gospel. If you really believe the gospel, then your life should be in step with the gospel. Your actions, your behaviors, the way you think the way everybody with me those things should be in step with the gospel that's what paul's saying 
what you are doing is out of step with the gospel. You're acting in a way that doesn't, it doesn't accord with the gospel. Okay? Now, so you, we don't attain the benefits of the gospel by doing a little moral cleanup job. You are saved by faith in the gospel and you live by faith in the gospel. Right? You attain forgiveness and joy and peace and power through daily reliance upon Jesus Christ who loved you and gave Himself for you. And that faith, when it's genuine, creates a rhythm of your life. It creates a, 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 a actions and behaviors that are in step with the gospel. Right? That's why you tell me you're a Christian and I look at your life, it's, there's nothing in it that's in step with the gospel. That, that makes no sense. Right? If you're a Christian, your life should be in rhythm and step with the truth of the, of the gospel. But, just as there is a life in step with the gospel, there is also a life that is out of step with the gospel. And what I want to do is, from this passage, I want to show you four things that are out of step with the gospel. If you really believe the gospel, if you really believe that you are saved, and the only way you are saved is through faith in Jesus Christ, then there are four things that should never show itself in your life. And those things are fear, hypocrisy, legalism, and racism. Okay? And we're going to see all four of these things from this, from this passage. So let's look at the first one. Fear is out of step with the gospel. First of all, the gospel does not beget or create fear, does it not? Paul writes this in Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7. He said this, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? But of power and of love and of self-control. So if there is fear in your life, you need to stop and ponder what it is about or what it implies about God's intentions toward us that He would give His Son to die for you. Right? The Gospel means that God Almighty is for you, not against you. What is there to be afraid of? Right? I mean, sometimes we forget that. Did you notice, by the way, how in today's passage... Peter's actions, what is his actions being governed by? His fear. That's exactly right. That, the Bible has, did you know for a fact, did you know that fear not is the most repeated command in the Bible? I forget how many times it is, maybe 400 times it'll say fear not, fear not, fear not. Why do you think it says that so much? One, number one, we have a tendency to fear. Don't we? Some people in this room, you're worried about what's going to happen three years from now. you got no control over it. You worry about what's... Jesus said, don't even worry about tomorrow because you got no control over it whatsoever. It is what it is. He's going to deal with it. Don't worry about it. The reason it wants us to fear not is because God understands that fear will govern your actions. Right? Now, why, why does fear govern our actions? What, what happens when fear comes in? And it has, why does fear govern our actions? Okay, it's powerful. That's exactly right, Brian. It overrides trusting God. See, the opposite of fear is trusting God. That's the exact opposite of it. So fear, here, here Peter is, and he's got a choice. God has appeared to me, gave me a vision, showed me that all things uh, uh, are, are, don't call any man uncommon or unclean. I saw him give the Holy Spirit to those Gentiles. I've seen all that with my eyes. Do I trust God or do I fear those Jews? And in this instant, he, he let fear override his trust in God. He, he let fear override the revelation of God. Okay, that's exactly right. Fear will overcome the gospel in your life uh, and cause you to act in a way that's contrary to the gospel, contrary to a life that trusts in God. But we've been delivered from that. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8.15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Right? In fact, watch what he says. You've noticed the opposite of the spirit of slavery that falls into fear. No, you've received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He's saying, you're not... And there goes back to that same thing. This is saying you've received God as your daddy. Your father is now God. Well, what are you scared of? He can handle anything. So don't, you didn't get a spirit of fear. Don't fall back into that. Trust God. Understand who God is, what your relationship to Him is. And that changes, that changes everything. 
A life that sees and believes the gospel talks like this. Hebrews 13, 6, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Okay? See, we all have our temporary lapses of faith. Okay? By the way, Peter, great man of God, saved. He's in heaven right now waiting on us. But he fell in this instance. He didn't fail completely. And we all do, don't we? I mean, we're all not perfect. But God is gracious to His erring children. He's going to remind us, when we fear, He's going to constantly remind us that the gospel is true. The gospel is true. The gospel is true. I died for you. I gave my son for you. Right? I'm here for you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. All that come to me, I will no way cast out, but I'll raise them up on the last day. It's constantly taking us back to the gospel, back to the gospel, back to the gospel. The fact is, we don't have to fear any man. We just have to believe the gospel. Number two, uh, hypocrisy is out of step with the gospel. Peter and Barnabas and the others were being two-faced when they withdrew from eating with the Gentile Christians. They believed one thing in their heart, did they not? But yet, they were saying another thing with their actions. They, they, they sought to avoid censure from the Jews at the expense of their principles. They feared what they might do, so they, so they put up a, a front. Their hypocrisy is rooted... By the way, hypocrisy is always rooted in insecurity. I want you to think about that. Hypocrisy is always rooted in insecurity. I mean, think about those guys. If they really believed in that moment that God is standing right there beside them and He's got their back, right? Why would they give in to any stupid fear of, of Jews, right? But in that moment, they, they, they didn't believe that. They didn't trust that. Are you with me? They were insecure in who they are. They were insecure in their, maybe their relationship with God. Um, that's why hypocrisy is so out of step with the gospel. Just as with fear insecurity is inconsistent with the gospel. When you are insecure and are tempted to put up a front and avoid taking a stand for what you believe is right, the battle you are fighting is a battle to believe the gospel. Again, God says, I gave my son for you. I accepted you. I died for you. I forgave your sins. I'm your father. I'm your daddy now. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Why are we insecure? I mean, why are, you know, the, the battle with insecurity is a battle to believe the gospel. Believe that I love you. You are somebody to me. Forget what they said. It's all about me and you now. Um, the gospel tells us that the death of Christ assures us of God's love, does it not? So shouldn't that give root to a deep security and stability in our life? That I'm God's kid now, right? I mean, it's me and him. Um, more than that, the sheer beauty and power of Christ's resolve to suffer for me instead of putting up a front to save his own skin should embolden me to act likewise. Listen, center your life on Jesus and his gospel and the root of insecurity will be severed. If you struggle with insecurity in your life, center your life on Jesus and his gospel, what he did for you, and it'll sever that root of insecurity. But in this moment in time, Peter and them forgot that, didn't they? See, it was a, they forgot what the gospel was all about and they stepped over and walked in a way that was contrary to the gospel, that wasn't in step with, with the gospel. Number three, legalism is out of step with the gospel. Paul said this to Peter. I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, are living like a Gentile, man, you're, you're over here eating lizards, right? I, mean, I don't know if he was eating lizards, but lizards was unclean. He says, you're over there in the Gentile's house, you eat lizards, you, you're living like a Gentile. Why in the world can you force, why would you force or compel now the Gentiles to live like Jews? He's saying that makes no sense. Now, I can under, what if Peter had said this? What are you talking about, Paul? What do you mean forcing them? I haven't said anything to them. They can do what they want to do. I'm not, I'm not compelling them to do anything. What do you think Paul would have said? By the way, Peter, as far as we know, didn't say, he just withdrew from them, didn't he? Didn't say he said anything to them. So Peter said, what are, you, what are you talking about, Paul? What do you think Paul would have said to him? Your actions speak louder. Say it. Your actions speak louder. That's exactly. Your actions speak louder than your words. That's exactly what he said to him. He would have said, Peter, listen, when you, as an apostle and as a leader, someone that brothers and sisters in the faith look up to, 
when you cut off table fellowship with Gentile brothers and sisters because they don't keep dietary laws and you take Barnabas and all the Jews with you, those Gentile believers cannot escape the impression that they are not fully Christians until they become Jews. That's compulsion. In other words, you, what you did with your life spoke way more than what you said with your words. Now listen, Pastor Henry for the past few weeks, I know on Wednesday night has been talking about the gospel. He wants people to be out to be able to share the gospel. But I'm going to tell you one more time, your actions speak way more than your words. People not only be able to hear the, the gospel coming out of your mouth, they need to see a life that's in step with the gospel that you're talking about. Yes? No? Because when we, when we, when we say something, we're witnessing to a friend and we're telling, oh, you know, uh, Romans 3.23, you know, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, and we're quoting these scriptures, but they look at us over here and they think, now wait a minute, <laughs> your life is not in step with what you're telling me. Right? I mean, that, that's incredibly important for us as a church as to live a life because when we don't, we're, we're, we're sending a message to other people with our life, and that's exactly what Peter did. And by the way, that is legalism. When you require a person to do some work of the law to be accepted by God and by the church, that's legalism. And that's out of step with the heart and the truth of the gospel. And Paul Paul would not let that stand. In fact, he goes on in verses 15 to 16 and say why. He says, listen, Peter, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. By the way, we'll talk about this next week. That word sinners doesn't mean that Jews are not sinners and Gentiles are. This is more, this, this word here means lawbreakers. In other words, the Jews by natural are what? Law followers. So what he's saying is we ourselves are Jews by birth. We, we follow the law. We're not Gentile lawbreakers. The Gentiles break the law from the time they get up to the time they go to bed. Yet, he says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. In other words, it's doing us no good following that law. But we're only justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we also, as Jews, have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by those works of the law that we follow, because by those works of the law that we follow, nobody's going to be justified. That's what he's saying right here. So he just lays out what the heart of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is, so that Peter and those with him will, will understand. Now, the last one. Um, what are the first three things I done forgot? Hypocrisy, fear, Legalism. The fourth one that is out of step with the gospel is racism. Now, have you ever asked yourselves questions like these? And I was actually going to do this whole lesson on racism, but it kind of it kind of changed. But I'll spend the last little part of it. Does God care about race religion, race relations? You don't have to answer out loud, but I'm just asking. Have you ever asked? Is a segregated church? And I want you to think about this one. Is a segregated church in step with the gospel? Is a segregated church in step with the gospel? Is a racially diverse church important? Okay? When we moved the church to, uh, over 10 years ago, when we moved the church from Sopchoppy to the center of the county, one of our reasons for doing so was that we wanted to be a, a racially integrated church. Really the first one of its kind in this, in this county. And, and we've made progress in this area, although it's, been, it's, it's slow. That's not something that's going to happen um, overnight. Uh, we have made progress, but it's, but it's been slow. And I'm hoping that today's passage will move us forward in this area. Because listen, that's all we can do. There's too many Christian churches. And I don't just, uh, I know the churches in Walker County, but I'm talking about all over this country. There's too many Christians and too many churches that are not making any progress in this area whatsoever. They're just standing dead still or going backwards. Okay. Now, do I think we'll ever be, we'll reach, uh, have a perfectly, no. But that's not the point. The point is as long as we have life, we should keep moving forward. We should keep advancing. Yes or no, right? And so what I want to do today with this passage is just give us, you know, inspire us to take another step forward, maybe in our own lives. 
because that's all we can do is just keep moving forward when we have to overcome uh, particular things like this. Now let's back up to the gospel for just one second. The heart of the gospel, and remember we're going to talk about race. The heart of the gospel for Paul was justification by faith alone apart from works of the law, right? In other words, listen, I don't care what you do, you can't earn it. You can't never be good enough to attain acceptance by God, okay? You want to be justified. Now, by the way, justification is what a judge does in a courtroom. Um, The defendant is let off, okay? They are pronounced just or justified. They're not let off because of a pardon. The judge doesn't look at the defendant and say, you know what, you really are guilty, but... I'm in a good mood today. I'm going to let you go. That's not what happens when justification. There's not special circumstances. They're, they're not let off because of a technicality or hung jury. It's a declaration by a judge that the defendant is innocent because they are innocent. Everybody see that? That's very important. He, uh, this justification that they're talking about and that Paul is talking about in the Greek It's not a justification that says, hey, I know you killed that guy, but, you know, you were only 15 when you did it. Special circumstances, I'm going to let you go. That's not what this is at all. Justification means you're innocent because you are, I find you innocent because you are innocent. That's what he's talking about here. Um, Now, obviously, we can never be declared innocent or just in and of ourselves, can we? Because why? Romans 3.23 We've all sinned. I love the New Living Translation. Everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God has a standard. It's a bar. And there's not a person in the world that reaches that bar. By the way, that bar is perfection. <laughs> who, who, can he, who can reach it? Nobody can. And that's what Paul's saying. We all fall short of that. We deserve the condemnation. By the way, works of the law can't save us. We have tried that, by the way. We all try to be good. We all try to be perfect. Um, but we can't. We keep failing. By the way, that's the whole Old Testament. That's what the whole Testament was all about. God was showing the Jews, I'll give you the rules, I'll give you the laws, and you'll fail every single time. That's why it says the Old Testament law was a tutor. It was leading you to show you this is the only way you can be saved because that won't work. You're going to fail, Right? And so the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's what we've earned. That's what we deserve. Um, So how can we be justified? How can God the judge declare us innocent? The answer is that Jesus Christ lived and died to provide our righteousness and bear our punishment. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still lawbreakers, he died for us. It's by trusting Christ that his righteousness is imputed or credited to us and his death is counted as ours. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, when God looks at you today, I said earlier, and it's kind of an odd thing, he looks at us and says, Derek, you're innocent. Now, am I innocent? No, not in myself, but when he looks at me, he credits Christ's life, the righteousness that he lived, he credits that to me. So when he looks at me, he sees me as absolutely perfect. That's how he sees me. So he says, oh, you're out of here. You've reached the standard. You're free to go. Come into my fellowship. Why? Because Christ's life is credited to me. His righteousness is credited to me. His death pays for my sins. His life gets credited to me, so he sees me as completely and perfectly innocent. And and what causes that? Faith. Absolute faith. We look away from ourselves. We despair of measuring up. We understand for the first time, there's no way I can ever make it. And we look to him. We look to his righteousness. We look to his blood. That's how it works. That's That's the gospel. Now... There are many, many wonderful attitudes and behaviors that should flow from a belief in that gospel. But there can be no doubt that one of them in this, an essential of a life in step with the gospel, is the breaking down of hostilities and suspicions and separation between races and replacing it with human uh, uh, unity and harmony. If you are living the gospel life, that is a life that is not separate from other races. 
Okay, racism has no place in that. We're going to talk for, for a second here uh, why that is. Now, let me ask you, why should that, I just made a statement, I just basically said it is essential that if you're going to live a life in step with the gospel, that you have to live a life that breaks down those walls between races. By the way, which is what Peter did. Do you understand Gentiles were a different race? He stepped across, and, and, and by the way, his whole culture, his whole bringing up said have nothing to do with them. They're dirty. They're nasty. Don't eat with them. Don't associate with them. Don't do business with them. You stay with your own kind. And Peter hears the gospel and he steps over that line. And he walks with them and talks with them and has relationships with them and eats with them. And he realizes they're not dirty. They're, right? Isn't that what Peter did? That is a lie in step with the truth of the gospel. Now, here's the question. Why? Why should belief in the gospel result in the eradication of racism? You tell me. Why should a, a, somebody that really believes the gospel, why should that result in a life that eradicates racism? You tell me. Because God doesn't see racism. When we get to heaven, there's going to be all races there. Okay, God doesn't see racism. By the way, Peter said there's no partiality with God. He said, now I see that. Okay, so there... Um, God's no respect for a person. Okay, there's no respect for persons. It's just we're, all one in we're all one in Christ. He died for all of us. Died for all of us. Both those are all right. First of all, here's why. The gospel teaches us, by the way, that when it comes to God and our need for salvation, guess what? We're all in the same boat. I don't care. Man, woman, American, Russian, white, black, it doesn't matter. We are all in the same boat, and we all have to be saved the same way. Listen to what Paul says here in Romans 3, 29-30. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles? By the way, Gentiles means other races, other ethnic peoples. His, that's a rhetorical question, by the way. Yes, of other races also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith, and He's going to justify the uncircumcised by faith. So the first thing the gospel says to us is we're all the same. You're not special because you're white. You're not special because you're black. You're not special because you're a man. You're not special because you're a woman. Everybody needs to be saved. Everybody has come short of God's glorious standard. Everybody needs to put their faith in Christ. So that's number one. Well, that's so important what you're saying this morning that we've got to know that Jesus Christ in this Bible there is huge billboards being put all over America now that says that Mohammed and Jesus are all one and the same. Let's all go. Uh, yeah. In fact, I read an article the other day about how many people. This guy went to a conference. I should have. I should have. I might teach on this sometime. Anyway, he went to a conference and asked a lady, "Does she believe in Christ?" She said, "Absolutely." And do you believe Christ is the only way to heaven? Absolutely. But then the more he talked to her, that she believes that Muhammad, that Christ is in, in other words, if you're in Islam, Muhammad is Christ. If you're, if you're in Buddhism, then Buddha is, in other words, your Christ is just who you want it to be. But see, the Bible says very clearly, that's why Jesus of Nazareth has come in the flesh. You have to believe in the Christ. You, there's a lot of people believe in a Jesus that ain't going to be the right one, Right? So when we believe in our Jesus, the one that came and died for everyone, right, then that's the first thing. We're all the same. We're all in the same boat. Now, in other words, since there's only one way for all people in the world to get right with God and be God's children by faith in Jesus Christ, therefore race or ethnicity or, sex, or, or, or if you're male or female or, or uh, what nationality you are, those, uh, they, they, those are not compelling separators. You're not special because you're born in America. You're not special because you're born in the Bible Belt. You're just like everybody else. You're just like that guy in Iran. You need Jesus the exact same way. Okay, so that's the first thing. Justification by faith puts us all on level ground of utter dependence on grace. Secondly, and this is where I think we come up so short, and I want to spend a few minutes on this. Belief in the gospel changes our identity. Now, if I were to ask you to sum yourself up with one word, what would you say? Now, don't answer, because most of you already know what I want you to say. 
But really, if somebody came to you and said, hey, sum yourself up with one word, what would you say? What is, what is your identifier? Is it, is it mother? Is it, does that identify you? Is it father? What, I, what identifies you? What, what is one word that sums up who I am? There, uh, uh, um, not too long ago, and this, this caught my eye, the, uh, the women's uh, soccer team here in the USA played in the World Cup, which is a big tournament, and they ended up winning. And there's a lady uh, on the soccer team. Her name is Megan Rapino, And uh, she was on Sports Center in a, in a little talk show, and they interviewed her, and they asked her that question. They said, give us one word that sums you up as a person. This is what she said. She said, gay. Now, what caught me about that was I realized, man, that is her identity. She, every, everything she views in the world, her worldview is all based on she's gay, right? She, she sees the world through that, and she wants the world to see her that way. Everybody with me? That, that affects everything she does and everything she thinks, which, which is, by the way, which is amazing and I read another book. Remember the book I told you all about? I read the book about the lady at Syracuse University uh, who was head of the homosexual studies and she became a Christian. And I remember reading that book and, and she said the same thing. That was her identity. And when she left that, it, it, it was so hard to leave it because it was like walking away from who you were. Does that make sense? Um, and I never thought about it that way. But that's who she is. Right? That was her one word. Now, the fact is, she could have said, though, she said that, but you could have said a lot of things. For example, she could have said, well, I'm a woman. And that's, I'm, I'm a woman above everything else. Are you with me? I mean, I see things as a woman. I, I behave as a woman. I, I, everything is, is and, and by the way, that's where a lot of uh, feminists out there, they, that's their identity. I'm a woman. Right? You could have said, I'm white. By the way, a lot of people out there, I'm black, I'm white. That's their identity. And that, by the way, that's how they view the world. That's how they want the world to see them. It colors everything they are. Are, are you with me? She could have said, I'm an American. There are people out there that said if, said, if you said, give me one word that sums you up, they'll say, I'm a patriot. And everything they do, everything they think, they think is colored by the fact that they're an American. Are you with me? Now, by the way, when it comes to Christians, there should be one word that identifies you. Right? And you can say that a lot of different ways. You can say Christian. You can say redeemed. You can say believer. But the fact is, when you're a Christian, you should no longer, now listen to me, you should no longer identify as black or white, as male or female, as American or Russian. Okay. By the way, those things may be true. You are black or white. You are male or female. You are an American or a Russian. But that does not identify you. right? That doesn't control your worldview. That doesn't control how you think, how you want people to see you. In fact, by the way, this is entirely scriptural. Has anybody got a scripture that can back that up? That's exactly right. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Listen to what Paul says. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. See what he says? That's race. You don't identify by race. There's no longer slave or free. It's not status. There's no longer male and female. It's not your sex. That's not how you identify. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that is huge. That should be huge for us. We, we, that is why, by the way, that is why a racially diverse church is so important because it shows that we are practicing what we are. If you really believe that scripture that we're all one in Christ Jesus, that there should be no more race separation, that there should be no more status separation, poor, rich, that there should be no more separation between whether you're a man or you're a woman, if you believe those things, 
then a diverse church is incredibly important because it shows that you're living a life that's in step with the gospel. Does that make sense? A segregated church, by the way. By the way, understand, there are times, if you go to, and I don't know where, but there are times that you can't help but have a segregated church. If you're in an area and there's no white people, well, you're going to have a segregated church. But the fact is, if we have a segregated church where races of the other races are not welcome, that is a church that's out of step with the gospel. I'm sorry. That is a church that is completely out of step with the gospel. An integrated church is a church that is in step with the truth of the gospel. It shows that we practice what we preach, that we act according to our beliefs. How can you say you believe the gospel yet remain segregated by race or ethnicity? That makes no sense. I guarantee you, if, if Paul walked into a segregated church, Paul, who's not scared of anybody, would stand up and say, how can you, what, what does this say? What does this picture say to me about your beliefs? You're out of step with the gospel. That's exactly what he would say. In our passage today, I want you to notice one more thing, who Peter was afraid of. Who was Peter afraid of? Jews. What was he? Jews. Notice, he wasn't afraid of the other race. He wasn't afraid of the other people. In fact, he was getting along fine with them. Who was he afraid of? His own people. By the way, that is amazingly true and amazingly insightful. When it comes to race relations, one of the biggest barriers that we have is not the other race. It's our own people. Is that true or not? What are they going to say? What are they going to think? Yes or no? By the way, in many cases, it's your own family. It's those that are very closest to you, exactly like it was with Peter. Peter wasn't scared of the Gentiles. He wasn't afraid of them. He was afraid of his own people. What are they going to say? What kind of pressure are they going to put on me, right? When it comes to walls that separate the races, it's not fear of the other races that keep those walls up. It's, our, it's usually fear of our own race, our own people, and what they will think and say and do. Let's not let what happened to Peter happen to us. Don't let fear ruin the freedom that we have to live and work and worship and eat with brothers and sisters from other races. Or to put it positively, fall in love with the gospel. Understand the gospel. Believe the gospel. Rejoice all over again that you are justified by faith alone. And this means that faith and nothing else now identifies you. I'm a Christian and I want to hang with other Christians care what color you are, what sex you are, what nationality you are, what, what status you are, you're a Christian, we're the same, right? So believe that faith is a great unifier of everyone who loves Jesus Christ. And then let's walk out of here and live that out um, together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Galatians 2. We thank you, Lord, that